Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Loop Podcast. It's your boy Gaetano with another episode. And today I am very, very thrilled to be talking with Pep Laya, CEO at Winter. Thank you for joining us, Pep. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's just get right into it. You are the CEO of Winter. Uh, Winter is a company that's in startup growth mode. And I'm assuming you guys are lean and mean, but you also appear to be punching above your weight class. And somehow you guys are creating the illusion of being a much bigger company than you really are. How are you doing that? What's the story? So winter today, we're in our third year uh, of business. So yes, you know, still early stage startup life. This year we're growing 2x over last year. Last year we grew 3x. Um, how do we appear bigger? I think it's, it's a combination of three things. I mean, and all of those have to do with the appearance of what bigger, bigger companies do. So a, I'm a very visible founder on social media uh, where our target customers are hanging out because we sell to marketers. Uh, and my, I mean, let's say above average sized uh, following on social media is not because this is my first rodeo. This is my um, actually fourth business. And so I've had like 10 years to build an audience. So that's, that's, that's an advantage. Another second thing is like we do things that usually bigger companies do. You know, like we threw a conference uh, last spring. Um, you were there. Um, and conferences are usually organized. You know, there's a Salesforce doing Dreamforce. I mean, our event was small, obviously. But still, it's a statement. We, we threw a conference, a physical conference, not a you know virtual one. Uh, and it says something. And people have this idea that, oh, it takes so much resources and whatever, whatever, to throw, put on an event. And that helps. Um, and also on social media and and virtual events, we're we're just doing a lot, so we always have something to put out there in terms of content. Uh, some companies to um, virtual events uh, once a year. I mean, we we used to do them every single month. You know, just like, well, what are the big companies out there doing? Let's do that, but more. Amazing. Um, it reminds me very very much of my time at Sales Hacker. Uh, we had a similar playbook with a founder who was very visible. He wrote a book. Um, he was previously in um, the online course world and kind of pivoted his skills from the online course world to webinars, virtual events, and uh, the very sort of like hacky way of piggybacking off of the corporates. So like Dreamforce, for example, don't buy a booth at Dreamforce, rent an apartment around the corner from Dreamforce and mm-hmm. steal the audience. <laughs> Uh, you All don't right. really do that. You you are based in Austin, Texas. Uh, you had a really cool hangout event, uh, cool marketers, good food, nice vibes, not overly corporate. Like, I'm, of course, I'm not just like plugging up the event because I was there. I actually genuinely enjoyed it. But I can see why the playbook of, you know, online, always something to say, founder with an, uh, an audience gives you an advantage. Uh, and plus doing the events, which most startups don't really do uh, those kinds of uh, those kinds of playbooks, right? They just kind of go for the typical startupy stuff. So uh, that's pretty cool. Let me ask you this: You've heard the meme, "Life is too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing." However, this does not apply to you because you are a powerhouse as a CEO, founder slash marketer. So let me ask you. 
are you too good at marketing? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I am a T-shaped marketer. Uh, yes. So that means that I have deep skills in certain domains of marketing. Right. And I would say my deep skills are in, in, in content and uh, conversion optimization, uh, analytics, um, that's a space I've been playing in for the last 10 years, mm -hmm. but I'm also well-versed in like most things, you know, mm -hmm. like I started my marketing career in SEO and PPC. Uh, I don't set up campaigns today, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm competent at, at a broad range of like marketing things. So, so I think as a, as a founder, you can't hire a big team. So certain things you can do yourself. So mm -hmm. for, for the most of winter's life, I've been... I've been the marketer. Uh, right now, our marketing team is me, me plus one one guy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I do act as, as the CMO um, as well. In in marketing, startup life in marketing, you can't do it all. So you mm -hmm. got to prioritize. And so, ten years of marketing experience, or actually, it's, I'm old now, so it's more than that. Um, mm -hmm. It just gives me a perspective of like what what to prioritize. So, for instance, like we're doing. We're doing less SEO work because, I mean, our domain ranking is low. We can't rank for competitive terms. Mm -hmm. the search demand for our money keywords is low. Really, like, there's no ROI. Well, there's little ROI in SEO. So that's been deprioritized. Uh, and so the question, well, what can we do now to drive pipeline today while building up brand for tomorrow? So it's kind of like balancing the short and long. And so experience really helps. Um, that, of course, also means that I need to hire for roles where I don't have deep skills like, you know, engineering. I'm not a coder founder like a lot of startup founders are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this. I would imagine that your standard for hiring marketers is much higher than the typical company standards because you are a marketer also by trade. Do you think that it makes it more difficult for you to hire marketers? because what they are typically used to is a lower bar, a lower standard. Not only do you have a high standard, but you're also a startup. So that means you have to be crafty. You have to be, you know, agile. You need to be able to work under pressure. Isn't it hard to find good marketers that are going to fit into your kind of ecosystem and workflow? It is hard. And there are some caveats here. So, you know, uh, I'm right now uh, recruiting for a head of uh, marketing role at Winter. And, um, you know, like you get a lot of applicants. I think everybody gets a lot of applicants. Uh, there's like a thousand applicants. You can't possibly interview them all. So I had them fill out like a short survey, like three questions about like what do they just to learn how they think. And 98% did not make it past that round uh, for the for the interview. Um, the challenge, of, of course, that I have is also that being an early stage startup and a bootstrap startup uh, means that I really realistically cannot afford to hire the best. And that's a that's just a practical reality for most customer funded startups out there. You you can hire the best you can afford, not the best out there. Uh, Another thing that helps me with with recruitment is just you know that the founder brand we we, we talked about earlier because a lot of people uh, are interested in working at Winter, which is a company with you know very you know, it's a startup uh, because of the founder brand they want to work with me and which is a it's just a nice advantage to have. Um, 
a lot of the people that want to work with me, when they hear how much I can afford to pay, then they change their mind. But, you know, it's like, well, I'll, we'll work together two, two years from now when, when we have more money. Uh, it's just, just you know, you got to be practical. Uh, number one job of a CEO is to make sure the company doesn't run out of money so I can't hire ourselves out of business. Right. And also, when I, have to, when, when I think about the impact of people, so let's say, broadly speaking, Somebody wants 100K a year and somebody wants 300K a year. Mm -hmm. Now, will the 300K a year person in the startup setting accelerate my growth like 3X more? I mean, it doesn't really happen, especially yeah. if they come from a big corporation. They're like a VP. They're used to managing <laughs> a team of 10 or more. Yes. They're, they've even long forgotten what it's like to be a hands-on marketer, um, yes. which is what I need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I used to uh, be in a similar uh, scenario where I had to hire great people with maybe not the most amount of money to play with. I straight up, I would just poach from uh, other great companies. I, I wouldn't expect that they would um, just come and apply to me. I would actually go out and poach them. Not saying that, uh, you know, that that's not advice I'm giving out to the audience or anything, but that's just what I did when I, mean, I had everything, to do it. Everybody does that, so, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, every marketer I talk to seems to love winter. Now, why is that? Um, well, you know, I saw winter a lot before I even tried it. In fact, I think I probably was seeing winter, hearing about winter, looking at winter, um, at least for like six months before I even tried it. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, now that I've tried it, I also love it and I see why. But um, no, it seems like no matter who I talk to, they love it. Um, why do you think everyone loves it? It's a good question. I mean, obviously, it's because the product is amazing. It's great. It's great. But what? But can it just be that? Like, yeah, what else yeah, is uh, it? It's got to no, be something. I think there's, there's more things going on here. So I think there's this, this thing about differentiation. So you know, winter is a unique tool. So there's literally no other game in town when it comes to B2B target customer insights. There's nothing else to use. So if you want to do message testing or ICP servers, you know, whatever, we're it. Now, what happens is that because of this, you know, uniqueness, we get 100% of the word of mouth for this category online. In Slack groups, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. And a lot of uh, opinions are shaped just through perceptions. So I see all the time on Twitter or LinkedIn, somebody say, hey, what's a tool I can use for uh, you know, A-B testing? A, a freelance marketer asks. And they get recommendation. Oh, you should use Adobe Target or Optimizely, which costing one hundred fifty thousand a year. So I know this freelancer has, is actually not using it; has never used it. And the other freelancer asking the question, "Oh, yeah, thanks, man. I'll use Optimizely for A/B testing." So, and they recommend it because they've heard of it. Same idea with with Winter. When they talk about Winter online, often I see this person has actually never heard, never never used it. So they, but they have, a, they've heard of it. They have a perception it's good based on what they've heard, uh, and so they generate word of mouth uh, without, you know, hands-on experience. So I, there's some of that going on. It's impossible to know the, you know, the the distribution of yeah. what is what. Um, yeah, I think I've even done that. I think I've even recommended it and not used it. Mm -hmm. I think some. I think I saw like 
couple of threads. How do I do this? And I'm like, yeah, just use Winter. I haven't even used the tool yet. <laughs> so that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, retweeting without reading the article. <laughs> there, there's something to be said. Well, this is, this is like the second order consequences of being a differentiated tool uh, or a product in, in the market. Um, yeah, because you get this word of mouth. It's pretty amazing. Uh, it reminds me actually of my cousin. Uh, his name is Ciro Dinardi. He decided that he wanted to open Dinardi's Pizza and Pasta. But what is the problem? If you live in New York, how many pizza and pastas are there? Thousands, if not millions. Yeah. So he went somewhere on the map where there is like almost no Italian pizza and pasta. He went to Spokane, Washington. <laughs> and he was like the only like authentic from Napoli, like pizza and pasta in town. And now he's crushing it. He's just thriving like no other because he's the only game in town. So um, I know that's kind of a far stretch from winter to Napoli-style pizza. It's the same thing. Yeah. It applies. It applies. It applies. Which is why I think like this um, this idea of like creating a category and so on is an attractive idea. Uh even though, like, I think the um, the category pirates you don't even talk about this as a benefit. They have their other, you know, things. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, you're damning the demand, obviously. Um, <clears throat> message testing. I mean, if I just go, do you know off the top of your head how many searches this thing gets a month? Message testing. Uh, well, it's not a lot. It's a couple of hundred a month, and yeah. also uh, some of the traffic is actually for like SMS delivery testing. Yes. Uh, some of it uh, so is also for, uh, um, uh, this is actually terrible, but it's for STD testing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, when, yeah. you know, when people search for winter, there's also other things there. There's a famous author whose name is Winter something, and uh, uh, she ranks very high. Right. So... Right. I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking my branded search volume increase mm -hmm. you know like quarter over quarter and so on mm -hmm. so i'm making ex uh i'm making an assumption that the growth is all me because mm -hmm. i you know maybe the winter author is not writing new books but i mean maybe she is <laughs> yeah like <laughs> or, Dana you know, winter. It's, <laughs> it, it's it's hard to you know know these things yeah yeah well, uh, but damning the demand, uh, I don't think we're doing it mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. So, because we started out intentionally as a point solution for mm -hmm. B2B message testing, N nothing else around, uh, you know, for that, as I said. Now we're go undergoing like a positioning exercise because already we're, we're more, we're like a platform for target customer insights. We can do, set up interviews and surveys and even sales demos, you know, a bunch of things, user testing. So now it's um, now user testing is a thing people already do, and now I can tap into the uh, the folks that are using like usertesting.com and something and say, hey, you think you want that? But like we have B two B audiences, so if you're a B two B company, you should actually use us, even though you think you want them. That's genius. Or, um, and same with like mm -hmm. surveys. A lot of people are doing all kinds of qualitative research. Mm -hmm. Again, our differentiation and moat is the B two B audiences we can supply, and I know. Mm -hmm. You know, basically nobody else can match our quality at this point. Mm -hmm. So again, there, there's an arbitrage, more like damning the demand opportunity for yeah. us. So, 
ask mm-hmm. me ask me in a year you know how it <laughs> turned out well it's also the speed of which you can get insights because to do it manually is very annoying um mm. also yeah. like if you're in a big company um usually the customer success team does not really want you talking to customers to ask them shit so there's there's nothing wrong well like it's it's excellent to talk to your existing customers it's a mm-hmm. must but equally important is to talk to your future customers, target mm-hmm. customers, target mm-hmm. accounts, ICP out there. Because, I mean, that's where the future revenue is going to come from, right? Yes. Uh, and if you think about B2C versus B2B, in B2C, consumer research is like decades ahead of mm. B2B doing mm-hmm. the similar things. You know, like yes. in B2C, consumer research journals were issued in the 70s already. Like, you know, think about Procter & Gamble and Unilever and all those companies heavily investing. In B2B, an average B2B company does no qualitative research. I mean, they probably survey their existing customers and you know, do some polls and some user testing. But like, in terms of going out there and, and regularly gathering intel from target customers um, in a qualitative form, they didn't do that. And I mean, part of it is also because until recently, it was just a total pain in the butt to do it. It was very hard. Hassle. Uh, yes. Now, we've made it super, super easy to do it and super fast. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Solving a huge problem in the market. On that point, uh, let's talk about companies like Figma, Notion, Deal, Oyster, Clavio, Gorgeous. You wrote about these guys, mm-hmm. um, and you basically said that um, these brands took big swings. Like it, for them, it wasn't about being marginally better; it was actually about positioning themselves as a new thing. Versus comparing them to like, oh yeah, we're a better Uber or we're a better Adobe XD. How do you how how did you get the idea to draw that conclusion? Like, where did where did that come from? And like, how how do you basically apply that to what you're doing with Winter? And I think you kind of hinted on some of it with the user testing. But mm-hmm. what's the story behind that? So all of these companies that you listed, essentially, they they created their own subcategory. So a big category of email marketing. And when Clavio entered uh, the email marketing category, and like Mailchimp was already huge, and said, "Well, we're not Mailchimp; we're email marketing for e-commerce." Gorgeous did it in uh, help desk for e-commerce, while um, Zendesk was already a unicorn, um, and you know all these other examples. So they fit into what people know already exists, like help desk or or uh, in email marketing, and then they add their spin, like, and it's for this. That's like a subcategory, like is classic Henry Ford did it with horseless carriage. And people know knew that they wanted to buy carriages, but there's a differentiation there, like no 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 code today, right? Uh, and 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 Notion and Coda, they're they're not um, uh, same as Google Docs. It's different, and right? there's a spin. I'm actually not sure how I've forgotten what they call their own category now, but. So, but by but by being a separate subcategory thing, you force uh, a choice, not a better than this category. Like, oh, I need this other thing. Now, I first came upon this thinking actually reading um, David Auker's uh, classic book uh, called um, "Creating um, Game-Changing Subcategories." I think it's mm. a great book for uh, all marketers to read, mm. and it, it is all about subcategories and and what makes a subcategory subcategory is that there's some sort of an uh, innovation that becomes a new must-have feature capability 
and now you say without this new must-have thing, uh, the others are, who, who don't have it are kind of like obsolete or irrelevant. So mm. let's say in Clavio's case, the deep integration with Shopify mm. and uh, all that stuff. Well, Mailchimp didn't have it, so mm -hmm. it's not. It's no longer relevant. Yeah. It's not in in the conversation. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, I I love it, man. Um, I was jamming on that post for a while, just thinking like, if I were to create a company today, uh, I would take this advice and start here. Um, all right, well, let's talk about events and then we'll close it out. Uh, you run two events annually. You got winter and spring. I've been to both of them, uh, both great events. CXL um, Live and spring. Oh, CXL Live and spring. Sorry about that. And then uh, you also wrote about communities kind of like, you know, you made some mistakes with communities in the past. Like you let mm -hmm. everyone join. Um, you were writing about like how they kind of just became free-for-alls. Uh, you know, um, like a lot of low quality, just like noise and random people in there. And it didn't become like a real high quality com community. Mm -hmm. And then you have this uh, concept of two annual events. You have community kind of in a way is your LinkedIn threads. <laughs> and then you have like the word of mouth component, which is fueled by the events. But then everybody kind of comes together and meets in person, hangs out. Um, and it's just this kind of like organic flywheel of like just overall goodness happening. Um, I guess the question is, I don't know. Uh, what do you define as community? Mm -hmm. is, is, there, is there like a definition for it? Or can it be this sort of just like loose thing that's out there and it's fueling a lot of goodness? You can't really describe exactly what it is. It's this kind of this loose abstract mix of mm -hmm. good things going on. And you know, it's like an invisible factor. Um, I don't know. What's your take on all of this? And I, I know it's playing a role for winter. I don't know how to exactly describe it, but what's your take on community events yeah. and this invisible factor that's going on? Yeah, I think communities are a hard play because uh, there always is a question of like, what is the what is the manifestation of the community? Like, where does it live? And the easiest way yeah. is always like, oh, that maybe it's a Facebook group. Maybe it's a circle thing that right. I set up uh, or Mighty Networks. Uh, and I think that helps. The, the common thread about uh, any community to be successful is that people need to um, rally around an idea, a unifying idea. It can be uh, a title base, like we're all product marketers. Which, which is what uh, Product Marketing Alliance did really, really well, uh, creating a Slack group, uh, thousand, there are tens of thousands of them now in there. It's all united by their career. We're all product marketers. It can be about an idea. So Elena Verna on, on LinkedIn, she has a massive following on everybody who is BLG people. Uh, I don't know that she has like a group somewhere, uh, but it, it, they just follow her you know, around because they're interested about an idea. Uh, a focus. So how I killed my Facebook group was, it was about very specific things. It was conversion optimization experimentation group, but I didn't filter. It was like, because the idea is like, more is better, right? More members, everybody join in. And then it diluted and they were not even interested in the topic and it became about everything. And then that means nothing. And, and all the people who actually cared hardcore about the idea, they just left. Um, so yeah, so you you mentioned referred to like LinkedIn uh, social following. 
absolutely, it happens, and it, it also has to be around an idea. And so, if if for instance, you talk about mainly marketing lessons uh, online, you have some fans that are interested in marketing. Um, uh, but like, if you also start uh, talking about biking, I see a bike in your behind you. Uh, so like, then it's like mixed messages. Like, what is this community about? Are we talking about marketing or like bike riding? Uh, so a, a singular focus is needed. Um, and I also think there's no monogamy on social media, meaning that if I follow you, I'm also following maybe Dave Gerhardt and maybe following Chris Walker and, you know, other folks, um, so community is very loose indeed. Um, you, have, you had a broad question, so here's a broad answer, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, it is, it's a great answer. I mean, the, the thing that kind of sucks about social media algorithms is that you're beholden to one idea. Mm. Like if you, uh, well, in your case, it, it actually kind of worked nicely because uh, experimentation, website testing, conversion optimization kind of flows almost perfectly into message testing. Um, so they kind it of kind of does, except uh, the, the the people didn't transfer over. So essentially, I, I abandoned all of my built up community because I stopped talking about topics they really care about. Mm. I mean, yes, co copywriting and message testing. I mean, yes. quality research. There's overlap, but yes. realistically, the buyers of these messages are, are a different group of people. They work at different type of companies, have different job titles. Uh, essentially, I I built my following you know, from scratch again. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I experienced a similar thing. I used to only write about SEO topics when I was mm -hmm. an individual contributor, really just hardcore focused on SEO. And then when I became more broad and I started talking about, you know, greater, you know, things in the marketing world, uh, lessons learned as a marketing leader, all these kinds of things, I kind of lost the loyalty of the hardcore SEO purists Mm -hmm. Um, but I did gain, um, you know, the attention of people maybe in ops or sales or broader marketing roles. So mm -hmm. I mean, it's just kind of part of the game that you got to play there, I guess. But yeah, um, so I think yeah. like my lessons learned and I, I do want to create another group as well, uh, which is not just, here's another Slack to join because, you know, we have too many of those. It needs to be around a single idea or other form of identity, maybe job titles, uh, and the second key component there is that we have a same we have the same mission. Maybe with our careers, we're trying to get somewhere. We, maybe we're SaaS founders trying to get from one million in revenue to ten million, or you know we want to get to be VPs. It's a career focused. So it needs to be shared identity and shared goal. I think those are the foundations. Yeah, the intersection of shared identity and shared goal is like the like the golden. Uh, where the Venn diagram overlaps and it's like, oh, bliss. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that that that's a great takeaway. Um, to wrap it up, let's do two lightning round questions. Short and simple, nice and sweet. Um, what is one thing you would recommend marketers should stop doing? Producing AI content. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. Because um, anybody can produce more mediocre content than you. <laughs> exactly it's a race to the bottom um love that one and on the flip side of that what is the one thing you would recommend marketers should start doing okay well uh my my take is going to be um get to know your target customer 
better than others because there's a there's a there's a moat here. It's hard to go out there and get intel about what they want and what their pains are. And so if you do this, you know you have a just you have a leg up. And then essentially, the go to market strategy should follow from the market insights, target customer insights. Um, not enough marketers do that. Thank you for uh, shouting that from the mountaintops. That was very refreshing to hear. Um, in fact, uh, to your point on the insights should drive the go-to-market strategy, uh, Cognizant does that before any campaign even goes out. They validate every single campaign idea. They don't just like, hey, let's just try this campaign and see what happens. Like They validate it before they go do it um, every single time. So that's, like, I guess, taking it a step even further. But uh, anyway, that's the end of the interview, Pep. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Um, always love hearing your wisdom and perspective. And I hope to see you again soon at the next uh, event. So thanks again. Yeah, man. All right. Peace out.